Elevates, elevates. Trust that all is well, well is all. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Elevated Frequencies, where you maintain your visual to be deeply unlocked in order to tap into your confidence to get things adjusted. I'm your host, Sherry, also known as Shy Shy, and we will continue reading our Legendborn. Um, I'm going to keep my word. We're going to read to the two, the two chapters, chapters 28 and 29. So make sure you got your snacks. Make sure that you are ready and prepared to receive this reading. Um, the last, where we ended off was where pretty much um, Bree and Nick were talking. And they were talking about like how they can hold whoever killed Bree's mother accountable. Um, and it's just, it's starting to get real even more real than what it was already. Um, I feel like it's about to be some joined forces type or like some exposure going on and it's going to be, you know, war. And that's just nothing to be uh, shy of or try to say that that's not going to happen. It's, It's about to go down. So let's get into it. Chapters 28 and 29. Hopefully you have everything prepared. And we're all set. If not, take a moment to pause this. Take a few deep breaths. If the kids aren't settled, settle with the kids. If whatever it is that you may have to do, this is your time. So make sure that you're using it to receive the relaxation that you deserve. All right. All right. Chapters 28. Welcome to the second trial, Pagelings. Cell stands like a drill sergeant on the lodge's front lawn feet planted wide and hands behind his back. He's dressed in black, as always, but his long coat is gone. His tattoos are on full display, below sleeves rolled at the elbow. They wind down his forearms and wrists, and I can't help but study them. I wonder how far up they go, and how many he has before I remember that I detest him and I shouldn't care about his tattoos at all. The only people who don't appear to be intimidated by him are Witty and Vaughn. Neither one of them even looks tired. They bounce on the balls of their feet, ready. The rest of us are barely awake, dragging and fighting yawns. Evan, Fitz, and Tor had gone from dorm to dorm to wake us all up in the middle of the night. They'd bang on my door, dressed in a black tactical gear, faces covered in black and green grease, and yelled at me to get dressed in less than two minutes, or forfeit the tournament entirely. I'd gotten maybe three hours of sleep after getting off the phone with Nick. Tonight's event is a scavenger hunt. From the way Cell's gaze pauses on us, one at a time, I get the feeling he can definitely see better in the dark than we can. We provide each of you with a list of aetherformed objects and you all scurry around campus collecting them. The six pages with the highest number of objects in their possession at the end of the night will progress to the third and final trial. I glance down the row of pages to my left. There are eight of us remaining. Greer, Witty, 
Spencer, Vaughn, Sydney, Carson, and Blake. How does a scavenger hunt? <sighs> Spencer yawns and hand covering his mouth. Test our strategic abilities. Look alive, Monroe. Tor strides between Spencer and Vaughn, smacking her page on the back of the head. Spencer steps forward with the force of it, indignation flashing on his face and delight rippling across Vaughn's. Cell left out the juiciest part. The more Aether objects you collect, the more Cell's Aether hellhounds will be drawn to you. If you get cornered or injured, you automatically fail. Tor and the rest of the Legendborn, eight Scions and Squires all together, have emerged from the Lodge and joined Cell, lining up in a row across from us. Each sponsor moves to stand across from their page, except for Evan. He'd sponsored Ainsley. I hadn't seen her since she was disqualified, but I assume she only comes around the Lodge as needed now. I heard the eliminated pages are still welcome for meals and events, even though they can't compete. When Nick stands in front of me, my stomach, my stomach leaps, leaps up somewhere near my lungs. Even covered in paint, even 10 feet away, his face sends a wave of relief through me. If Nick's here, I'll be alright. The thought rings in my mind, clear and bright as a bell. Nick's eyes take me in, flitting rapidly across my face. He mouths, you okay? I respond, yes, with a subtle dip of my chin. From the look on his face, he's not happy that he'd been forced to keep tonight's trial a surprise. Who knows? Maybe he himself only found out an hour or so before I did. He looks tired and pissed. My cheeks prickle and Cell clears his throat. Aside from his eyes flickering sharply away from me, the rest of his body has gone still with tension. Lest anyone has forgotten, your sponsor cannot aid you during the trials. Violations of this rule will result in elimination. Tor produces a folder of papers and hands them to the legendborn to her left and right. She also passes out drawstring bags to each page. Tonight's hunt will pair each page with a scion or a squire who is not their sponsor for monitoring purposes only. They will record your progress, report your final score, and dispatch a hound if you found yourself in trouble. Tor pairs us off. Felicity is paired with Spencer. Russ pairs with Witty. Victoria and Sarah split Carson and Blake, taking one each. William takes Greer, who seems pleased with this. I curse under my breath. If I couldn't have Felicity, Evan, or Russ by my side, I'd want William. Greer shoots me a look of genuine apology, and I send a weak smile back. I could be disappointed, but it's not their fault. That leaves Nick and Pete. The scion of Owain and Fitz, a needle of fear spears my inside. I silently beg Tor not to torture me with Fitz. I don't know Pete at all, but I know he's new 
and kind. Pete, you'll go with Fawn. Tor taps her bottom lip, staring at me and Sydney. We're the only two pages left. If I can't be paired with Nick, that leaves me with Fitz. Fitz lands on this outcome a heartbeat after I do, and his lips pull back in an eager grin. He starts walking toward me when Cell intervenes. I'll take Brianna. Fitz, you pair with Sydney. Nicholas, you'll stay in the lodge behind the wards. The murmuring behind us goes silent. Nick looked like he just eaten an icicle. Everyone else has a sigh and a squaw. Cell tucks his hand in his pockets and strides through the grass, holding me still with his electric stare. Tiny pinpricks across my cheeks. You heard me. I'll keep track of Brianna. From this distance, I can see he swapped his P-shaped black earplugs for silver ones. He speaks to Nick without releasing me from his gaze. The three skills and abilities tested by the trials are fixed, but the format of those trials is left up to the chapter leadership and place during tournament. He shrugs and the jester speaks for him, and I've changed my mind. It only takes two steps for Nick to reach Cell's side. He towers over the sorcerer for several by several inches. Well, I don't agree. Cell turns slowly, deliberately to Nick. You haven't taken up Excalibur yet, Davis, and your father named me the current leader. Further, as your king's mage, it is my responsibility to keep you safe. His low voice carries to the rest of the group in the quiet, reaching every ear over the rhythmic trill of crickets. I catch a faint gust of cinnamon and whiskey between the scents of night-glooming jasmine and crushed grass. Until that sword is in your hands, you will stand down. Nick's face is unreadable, his eyes a deep, cold blue. He stalks back into the lodge without another word. Cell tilts his gaze to the sky. He tracks the moon for a few seconds, then quickly scans the sky and stars around it. His eyes drop to the group. It is now 1.30 a.m. You have three hours. There are 40 objects on the list. But any relief I feel disappears when I read the first three clues and see how they've, they're written. 88 keys and not a lock in sight. Microfique, corrals, stick abound. And yet on this floor, there's not a book to be found. Riddles, I exclaim. Sal's lips quirk as we walk toward campus through the battle park forest. A handful of pairs have run ahead, but the rest, like me, are reviewing the clues before they dash off. I point to one of the clues farther down with the light of my phone. Silver and red, white and yellow, find me flashing where the stoners mellow? How am I supposed to know where the stoners mellow? Maybe you'd know if you got high, Sel says dryly. I suppress the urge to smack him. 
I'm pretty sure I don't want to touch him, but maybe a kick will do. I inhale and turn back to the page, trying to ignore the prickling sensation of his gaze. The first one is easy, that's a piano, and the music building isn't far. Ah, Sal says in a non-commental tone. I ignore him and start jogging west, thankful that I'd thrown it on exercise leggings and sneakers. He keeps up with me easily, his feet practically floating over the ground, silent as the dead. After a few minutes, I fold. Why? My breath comes out in short puffs. Why what, Brianna? His voice is so even, he could be standing still. You know what? I told you, I'm keeping an eye on you, mystery girl. Because you think I'm a demon? Are you saying you're not? His response pulls a frustrated sound from my chest. Isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? Aren't you the shadowborn here? His hand moves faster than my eyes can follow. He grabs my arm with hot, strong fingers, jerking me to a halt. I don't know what you think you know or what you've been taught, but I am not born of shadows. Cell's cheek twitches. Planting an yukul demon in our ranks disguised as a naive once born is a perfect way to sow discord but it won't work with me. I pull my arm from his grasp. Why bother planting an uko when your paranoia sows discord just fine on its own? I stomp away from him, tamping down my frustration before it turns into something I can't control. I reach the music building, Hill Hall, a few minutes later and find it empty. I'm surprised there aren't other pages surrounding it. It was an easy riddle. Low-hanging fruit, really. I can't tell if I should feel pleased with myself or worried. He Cell steps up beside me as my fingers wrap around the door handle, and I leap at least a foot in the air. I hadn't heard him move at all. Jesus! I screech. His eyes cut to mine, annoyance flashing across his brow, quick like a shooting star. Why so jumpy, Brianna? Nervous about something? Nervous feel, feels like Nick's and my word now. Our inside joke. My temper flares. You have threatened to kill me. Also, why are you so damn quiet? It's not in my control, he narrows his eyes, as you now know. Oh, right. Demon feet. A thought occurs to me. You know my feet make sound, don't you? He studies me languidly. Goracles are said to be consummate mimics when it facilitates their human ruse. I roll my eyes. The door creaks long and loud when I open it and slams shut behind us when we step into the building's rotunda. I hold up my phone flashlight app on and shine it on the directory on the wall beside us piano rooms basement level my footsteps echo on the wood floor and the blue and white of my flashlight swings back and forth to find the stairs why aren't these buildings locked at night 
Sell answers from just a foot behind me. Administration is aware of tonight's event. They just let the legend born get away with everything, don't you? Don't they? Sell draws up beside me. How do you know they aren't order members themselves? Down the stairs in the basement, there's a long hallway of identical piano rooms, each holding an upright inch in a chair. Don't suppose you could use like a secret hand signal or something and point me to which room I need? I only created the objects. The others hid them. I have no idea which room you need. He flashes a satisfied smile. I glow her back. We go through four rooms in silence. I lift up the lids of the pianos, bend down to search under them and their matching benches. In each, the air is stale, and Cell stands too clo- much too close for comfort. Cell's presence, even in the expansive hallway, makes every space feel too small, too tight. In the very last room on the left, I see it. A plain stone mug shimmers seafoam blue in the darkness underneath the back leg of a piano. I don't bother hiding the joyous sound that escapes me when I rush to grab it. Cell leans on the door jammed, watching me. I examine the mug in my hand. Its light pulses in a slow rhythm. Why does it go in and out like that? Aether is an active element. I'm holding its place in shape. He turns and walks down the hallway. You've spent 20 minutes looking for one object. Better hurry if you don't want to end up in the bed bottom too. I stuff the mug in my bag and jog to catch up to him. Curious in spite of myself. You're holding all 40 objects together right now? Cell rakes his hand through his hair and sighs impatiently. I created them all at once, but I can sense them at a distance and reinforce them if this lasts more than a couple of hours. Wait, what? I stop in the hallway. You can cast Aether remotely? Yes, he pivots his head. Hill, are you coming? I shake my head, trying to imagine the effort of keeping up with 40 anythings, much less 40 castings. And that's not even mentioning his hellhounds. I don't know what it feels like to cast, but what he's done tonight sounds impressive. Impossible. Both. You're burning moonlight. He stares at me incredulously. Or do you want to interrogate me and forfeit instead? I catch up with him again, and we run through the building for the exit. I work through five more items on the list without much trouble, and without any sight of a hound. The only one that catches me off guard is the one about the books. To reach the floor with no books in sight, I'd have to find the extremely well-hidden door to the roof on the eighth floor of the library. I'm not particularly fond of heights. And it took me 20 minutes to find the jewelry box inside a vent pipe. And on the other hand, Cell, on the other hand, had kept himself occupied by walking on the four-inch wide raised brick perimeter of the roof, perfectly balanced, while whistling. I keep waiting for him to jump, 
grab or try to kill me again. But he seems content to watch me struggle with riddles and run from one end of the campus to the other. It's unnerving. I've never spent any amount of time with him that wasn't filled with threats, mesmers, or intimidation. Once we're back outside, I check my bag, the jewelry box, the mug from the piano, a flashlight from the fountain in front of the graduate school building, a very hard to spot tiny metal key that had been wedged between a pair of bricks on the journalism building, and a candle that had been tucked in the crook of a statue's arm. I look up to find Cell studying me again, as if he's waiting for me to turn demon by accident. Where are the hounds? I ask, and he shrugs. I created them, but I gave them a little push to make them more independent. I felt one earlier near the campus Y, but it didn't catch your scent. Oh, lovely, I draw. Were you going to warn me? A bloodthirsty hellhound was nearby? <laughs> Why would I do that? I groan and look down at the list for another clue. I was the first, and my rest is the oldest. Let there be no debate. I pull my cheek between my teeth. Cell perched on one of the many low stone walls around campus, watches me with hooded eyes as I puzzle through the riddle. I'm certain he's been figuring out the riddle before I do, and enjoying not telling me the answers. I check my watch. I have an hour left. We're in the middle of the campus, and there's no use walking until I figure out where to go. I pace back and forth, and Cell's eyes, glittering in the darkness, follow my steps. I was the first, and my rest is the oldest. Let there be no debate. Just my luck, this is some sort of uber obscure medieval crap. A hoarse bark of laughter escapes Cell, and we both blink in shock at the genuine uncontrolled sound. The sound of someone who's not used to laughing. I don't think I've ever heard him express anything other than carefully aimed barbs, seething irritation, or dry sarcasm. He must see the thought on my face because his expression goes stony in a heartbeat, like he's flipped a switch inside. I walk to the edge of the wall down a few feet from Cell and look out over the campus. I start at my left, my eyes following the line of buildings in front of us. The low dining hall, the towering library breaking the skyline, and the bell tower striking 3.30. My eyes track back to the left of the bell tower. I was the first, and my rest is the oldest. Let there be no debate. While it's quite poetic, it's not a cantrip, Matthews. Cell saunters over, shadows clinging to his gliding shape. Repetition will not make its meaning clearer. Shut up. His left eye twitches in silent reproach. I have a feeling I know where the next object is, but I'm not quite ready to go there. It feels too soon, but what choice do I have? I sigh and just for him to follow. Come on. 
The first was a young die-fi boy buried in the late 1700s. That's what Patricia said. And thanks to Alice, I know die-fi is the very old campus debating society. I desperately wish I'd asked Patricia to point out the grave marker during the day. Because searching for it at night is like looking for a certain shade of blue in the ocean. The graveyard is poorly lit by intermittent lampposts and the wide hedges and hills make it slow glowing. As apprehensive as I thought I might be, the graveyard actually feels familiar to me now. Each time I check over my shoulder, Cell is there, a silent figure blending into the shadows in one moment, limbed by a golden light in the next. I think I hear him chuckle, but the sound is carried away on a gust that whips dirt and twigs into my face. You've never seen me harm Nick, so why do you still think I'm shadowborn? I don't know why I ask. Maybe because he, with me in the lead, I don't have to look him in the face. You're immune to mesmer. Not true, I retort, hiking up a particularly long hill. Lies. He doesn't miss a beat. You wield the sight too easy for someone who has only recently received it. You saw the ISO at the quarry. That surprises me, but I don't show it. He strides up the hill with frustrating ease, and when he reaches the top to look down at me and nicks coin on my chest, there's casual contempt in his eyes. And you have enthralled Nicholas. I sputter, heat filling my cheeks, and tuck the necklace away. What? Enthralled? I... No, he... He... That's... <sighs> Cell raises a black brow. A curious hawk watching a frantic mouse skitter back and forth. He makes a soft dismissive sound in the back of his throat, not wanting to hear any more about Nick or any sort of thralling. I turn and walk down the hill to the next section of Grace. In addition, the timing of your appearance, he begins following behind me, is too convenient. Demons are crossing through grates at increasing rates at not only our chapter, but also the others embedded in schools up the coast. It's all but inevitable that the table will be gathered, but Nicholas is vulnerable, symbolic. If anything happens to him before Arthur calls and he claims his rightful title, the order will go to chaos. I walk the aisles looking for the marker on the ground in the oldest section. I thought you hated Nick. Nick sells Cell walks, well, sorry, Cell falls in step beside me. Nicholas's petty childhood concerns and daddy issues have never been a greater importance than the Order's mission. He should have been preparing himself for the call instead of whining about his duty. I stopped walking at that. I don't think his mother getting mesmered to severe, so severely that she doesn't remember her own child is a petty childhood concern she only wanted to protect him she tried to kidnap him he stares at me his tone even and eyes opaque and the line is law i shake my head in disgust unbelievable i step around and continue down the aisle 
I'm grateful that Cell at least stops talking, leaving me to look for the marker in silence. A flap of heavy wings interrupts my crunchy steps as I walk over leaves and yellowed fescue, long dead from the heat of summer. I turn to point out the grave section to Cell, but he's gone. The aisle behind me is empty. Cell? Stillness and wind are the only replies. Doubt drops into my stomach. A low growl behind me breaks the silence. I don't turn back. I don't need to. I run. Child, so one of the hellhounds done found Bree in the cemetery right when she was about to get her another clue. So of course that was going to happen. And of course, Sal ain't say nothing. So, but that's the end of chapter 28. We're going to go ahead and dive into chapter 29. If you need to take a break, now is your time to do so. Go use the restroom. 29 ain't that long, so it won't be much longer. Um, but let's just get into this. 29. I'm at a full-on sprint in seconds. Cell's hellhound is fast. I can hear its heavy breaths behind me, closer and louder with every step. Hear its claws scraping over stone markers. I reach the section with the headstones and I zig and zag around them, hoping that I'm nimber than it is. I've never run this fast in my life, and it doesn't feel fast enough. Reveal yourself, Brianna! Cell's voice, taunting and amused, calls down from somewhere above me. I leap over a wall and a gravestone, then another headstone, racing toward the mausoleum section. I'm almost there. I can see the three low buildings facing inward and the courtyard in the middle. If I can get inside one of them, I push out faster. Will my legs to will my legs to stretch farther? Cell's voice keeps pace. He shouts down from a tree just over my shoulder. Give up the ruse. Just after I leap over a low stone wall, just when the courtyard is within reach, the, the, the hound decides it's time to act. I hear a grunt as if it's launched its whole body into the air. I change course, trip over a low marker, and fly forward, skidding across the courtyard bricks on stomach and hands. The hound lands head first against the mausoleum. Its skull cracks against the marble wall. By the time I scramble breathlessly to my feet, the hound was has recovered. So that's when I turn. I see it for the first time. Sale's hound looks the same as the first hound I'd laid eyes on. But his is far, far bigger and fully corporeal. It throws glowing silver aether off in waves. Details I'd missed before are clearer now. Even in the dim light, a long snout with nostrils flared and tipped like a bat's. Cells given it the Shadowborn's heart blood eyes, dark and impossibly red. I can't look away. I can barely move for terror that when I do, it will strike. I edge one foot back, and my heel hits something hard, vertical, smooth, another mausoleum. 
I know without looking that the door is out of reach. The only escape routes are between the corners of the buildings and the fourth open side I've just come through. The side that the hound is now closing off with its massive body. It snarls and snaps its saliva-drenched jaws in delight or fury. I don't know. It lowers itself on it into a crouch, ears flicked forward. My heart accelerates into full gallop, blood pounding in my ears. Call it off, Cell! Cell drops down silently beside his Contra, launching in a crouch and rising with a satisfied smile. Just as I thought, a coward and a liar both. Cell's hellhound pants at me, its mouth wide and open in a dog-like grin. Call it off. I press my back into the wall. Cell crosses his arms over his chest, pleasure painted all over his face. Once a true hellhound has the scent, it never gives up its prey. The only way to stop it is to kill it. As much as I despise those shadow-born beasts, I find I'm much the same way. So I decided to give you two final options. Reveal your true form or kill me. You set me up. Adrenaline and rage surge through my eyes. You plan to corner me here. He groans as if correcting a dense student. Of course. I must admit, I was inspired by what you said earlier in Wilms, Williams Infirmary. You were right. All of this cat and mouse is getting old. I risk a step forward, but the hound snaps. I fall backward into the bricks. Why are you doing this? Because I am tired, Brianna, of your shadowborn lies and the fun you must be having at our expense. Planting your brethren at our oath. Sending the serpent to take Nicholas under my nose. Taking part in our trials. With every slow step forward, his features turn more menacing and his eyes wilder until he looks more like his hellhound construct than himself. Looks more demon than human. We both know you don't care about our mission. I can see it in your face. That's not true, I scream. Cell's expression is pained and annoyed. More lies? Even now? He kneels in front of me, his upper lip curling into a sneer. I know you saw the easel before taking the oath. We both know the first oath never took. That you slowed off our sacred commitment like it was nothing. Like it was worthless to you. Less valuable than dirt. I tremble. How did he know? Did he see... He chuckles low at my confusion. You think I don't recognize my own casting or sense its absence? He leans close to whisper in my ear. I can feel them, Brianna. The oaths I've cast 
His eyes drift across my face and throat. And I don't feel any of me on you. Get away from me. I shove him hard with shaking hands and he laughs, rocking back on his heels. I scramble to my feet, but his hound is right there. It's slobbering jaws at my shoulder. Cell rises. Cell needs to know who you are before he is called to the throne and you make a fool of him. William, Felicity, Russ, Sarah. They all seem to think you might actually belong with us when we both know you don't belong anywhere. I feel myself shaking, and not just because of what Cell says about Nick or the others, but because of his last words, you don't belong anywhere. After everything that's happened to me, everything I've done to make it this far, to get this close to the truth of my mother's murder, those words snap something in me. My hands begin to flex at my sides, clenching and unclenching. The tips of my fingers feel like they could pop, like there's a balloon beneath my skin that just wants to expand outward and explode. I look at Cell's hound and think of breathing fire in the monster's face and watching it burn, 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 laughing at its pain because it's so small next to mine. I see Cell. His see his confidence in his ancient mission and his hunger to take me down. I may not know my own ancestors, but after seeing Mary and Louisa and Cecilia, all I want is to show him that he's not the only one with power in his veins. Nick was right, I say in a low voice I barely recognize. Merlin's are monsters. You are a monster. His eyes widen and his lips press into a thin, angry line, but I don't find out what horrid thing he might spout next because he doesn't get a chance to respond at all. A, crouch, a crashing in the woods pulls our attention. A low howl, a high, piercing bark, then another that echoes against the closed-in courtyard. Cell scowls. What did you do? Calling reinforcements? I hiss. I didn't do anything, you asshole. Like him, my eyes are glued to the graveyard. We don't have to wait long. Three nightmares appear out of the woods and jump onto the stone wall. Three enormous foxes. Green aether drifting up like steam off their scaly backs. These are true Shadowborn. No construct, no illusion. Cell's hound dissolves until it's nothing but silver dust. Sydney, your friend! Cell hisses. He slides backward into a fighting stance. Call them off, Yuko. If you kill me, you'll never get close to Nicholas. All your efforts will be for naught. They are not mine, I snap. The partial corp creatures leap down to the courtyard as one, covering the ten-foot distance easily. The foxes yip and snarl, chittering as they stalk towards us on long legs, their hairless, rat-like tails whipping behind them. 
I said call them off. I didn't do this. Brian, please, sell. His jaw clenches as he stares me down, fresh doubt at my plea, warring with the fury in his eyes. A flash of blue and white aether, and then Sal is murmuring while aether streams rapidly into his hands. It collects into spinning globes in his palms. Then the globes expand and elongate until they, are, they form two long staffs that harden into shimmering crystalline weapons, dense and heavy. Instead of retreating, the foxes snap their jaws eagerly at the sight. What are they doing? I breathe, but Cell's eyes are only for the demons. Suddenly, all three hell foxes release blood-curdling screams, the sound bouncing in the courtyard and droning on and on until I cover my ears in pain. Then I see that it's not a scream at all. It's a call. I know the Shadowborn use Aether to grow solid, but I'd never seen it happen before now. The Aether from Cell's weapons unravels and flows into the air toward their open mouths like a stream spilling into a lake. He gasps, squeezing each staff in a fist, but it's no use. His weapons dissolve before our eyes until he's holding nothing but air between his fingers. The foxes flicker, but the silver-blue aether he called turns green when it reaches them. Cell is already calling another batch of aether, but the foxes scream once more and take it before he can form anything in his palms. He roars, cursing as they take his power from him, siphoning it as fast as he can call it. The sharp burn of his casting fills the air. The foxes take it all and use it to grow larger and stronger. Aether swells from within their bodies, bloating them outward until there is the sound of splitting skin. Dark green, foul-smelling ichor oozes out of the openings, turning my stomach. Cell begins calling a third batch of Aether to make a weapon against them. But they'll be corporeal soon, invisible to any passing ones born. Stop! I shout. They're just using it to go corp. I didn't need to yell. He figured it out too and realized his effort would be futile. His face turns feral with frustration and he growls at the creatures with canines bared. In my vision, the world trembles, but it's not the world that is shaking boiling, rising. It's me. Time slows and I see the prowling foxes with new eyes, their outstretched claws and rows of teeth, their eyes gleaming with bloodlust. Everything about my perception of them, sight, smell, sound, is suddenly crisper, brighter. Their cracked lava skin is in high definition. Every shift and ripple of their muscles clear beneath the surface. I can taste their sour, rotten aether bodies. The smell thick at the back of my throat. A rumbling growl is coming from one I know because I hear the air building to produce it. Deep in its chest. What the hell is that?
Cell voice, Cell's voice breaks my focus, and the world speeds back up. I blink and look down. I've taken two steps toward the foxes without even realizing I've moved. My hands are outstretched at my sides and bright crimson flames stream from my fingertips. A short scream escapes me, then I whimper. I shake my hands to try to toss the flames. I, I don't, I don't. The hell foxes don't wait for me to explain. The one on the far left is already moving, dashing for me at breakneck speed. I dodge at the last minute and it collides into the wall. While it recovers, another screeches, braces for a leap. Strong arms grab me around the waist and pull both my feet off the ground. The graveyard, the ground, the trees fly by in a dizzy blur of colors, and then I'm released. The world goes hazy, dark. Dat galaf. Dad Rithiaf. Dad Galaf. Dad Rithiaf. The ground beneath my face comes into focus. My stomach feels like it's somewhere up near my lungs. My fingers curl in the dirt. The red mage flame is gone. Ugh. I moan, rising to my knees. I couldn't have been out for more than a minute. You're welcome. Cell grumbles before returning to his chant. Dad Galaf. Dad Rithiaf. He stands beside me, his fingers and hands contorting in the air over the massive roots of an oak tree. I look up to find that we're on McCorkle Place, the northernmost quad, maybe a ten-minute walk from the graveyard. Dad Galaf. A hell fox scream rends the night air. Oh God, I use the tree to stand. They're coming. I am aware, Cell responds. Another scream, louder this time. They're getting closer. I have ears. We've got to run. I take a halting step, but the world is still adjusting itself after Cell's snatching grab. No, he says. We've got to hide. There's a whoosh of air and low, translucent double doors appear over the tree's root. Cell yanks his head backward and one of the doors opens, revealing a dark, bottomless pit below. Get in. I'm not going down there. Without a word, he wraps an arm around my middle and lifts me up, tossing me down into the gloom. I land ass first, pain shooting up my spine. At least the dirt floor is six or seven feet below ground level instead of the unfathomable descent into nothingness I'd imagined. Cell drops down beside me and lands like a cat, silent and light. He yanks down again and the door slams shut, plunging us into darkness. Ooh, child. So now Brie has revealed her eighth, or well, her her fire mage to Cell. So I know Cell probably has a bunch of questions now because of that happening. But that's the end of chapter 29, guys. We will read chapter 30 on next week. Let me see how long it is.
30 is a little lengthy so it might just be chapter 30 uh chapter 30 we'll see um and then the next week i'll do 31 and 32 so i think i'll do that so next week make sure you join and so we can see what the hell happens with these foxhounds apparently um and i don't know what do you guys think do you feel like do you feel like brie low-key like if she's left alone without distractions do you feel like she really will low-key tap into whatever the fuck it is that she got going on because i feel like that's what's happening like when she just allows herself to be and she's just kind of not focused on certain things something kind of takes over and her her abilities take over which is what just happened with the with the fox i feel like it's when her emotions are heightened so either she has to be really scared really angry angry really anxious whatever the case may be but i feel like it comes out more when she's at her peak of her emotions but yeah that was that was good that was chapters 28 and 29 Again, we'll read chapters 30 next week. Hopefully you enjoy it just as much as I did. And, you know, enjoy the rest of your week. Make it a great one. Stay true. Stay you. I must say.